0: The Paul Kuharski Podcast is brought to you by the Yazoo Brewing Company, celebrating 15 years of beer in Nashville, Tennessee.
1: Welcome in to a new edition of the Paul Kuharski Podcast from paulkuharski.com. I'm Paul Kuharski. I've said my name three times in the first sentence. Uh, breasting from an undisclosed home office location in Brentwood, Tennessee, Uh, I cover the Tennessee Titans in the NFL. I am uh, one-third of the Midday 180 on 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. And this podcast is brought to you by Yazoo Brewery. Uh, They make great beer of every variety in Nashville, Tennessee. You should check it out next time you're ordering a beer at the bar or picking up a six-pack somewhere. It's great summer stuff. The Hefeweizen's a uh, favorite of mine. You've heard our guest from this week on the Midday 180 a couple times and hopefully uh, more soon. He's kind enough to join me to kind of expand on a couple things I wanted to ask him about. Blake Bettingfield was part of the Titans scouting department for 19 drafts. And if I'm not mistaken, Blake, the last six years that you were with the team, you were director of college scouting. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that's correct.
1: That's a big title, very big title for a – a guy who uh, has gone on to big things as a coach of his son's baseball team. How far did you guys end up going?
0: You know, we, uh, we actually did, had a really good season. We played tournament ball, so each week was a, was a different tournament, and sometimes we made, uh, made it to the end, but never the big championship. But, uh, you know, we did well as a young team with a, a new group of boys and new co- coaching staff, and uh, so we, we, had a, we had a nice year
1: you've had a lot, a lot of experience with a lot of coaches watching staffs for 19 seasons with the Titans pass through. What, uh, what's something maybe you learned from coaching? This was a 12 year old team, right? Your son or 11?
0: Yes. It was 11 new baseball what's team. So, and, um, you know, you can always take things from, that, from different that, that, that coaches you that saw you the uh, coached with or, or, uh, you've been around. And, and I think, probably the overwhelming thing is being prepared, being prepared before you walk out to practice, being prepared before you go to a game. Very. I've always been a very organized person. It's something I've always prided myself on in my uh, personal life as well as uh, my professional life, and I carried it on as a coach as well. But you better be prepared when you're dealing with 11 youth, kids, and you're dealing with 22 parents, you want to be prepared when you walk into a, on a baseball field or a basketball court or a football field, uh, you better be prepared ahead of time to have equal playing time. If that's the league that you're in, or at least put your uh, players in a position to be at the best spots and have a chance to win.
1: Very cool. Uh, I'm wise to fall out of it now with an eight year old, but I'm having trouble being quiet. I need a lot of work. So, uh, you know, that's the number one rule as
0: a coach me. is you take the parents during the first practice and tell them that they're not allowed to coach their son or daughter during the practice or game time. They have them before the game, not during, and then they have them after the game. And that's one of the number one rules as a coach to always kind of separate the parents, unless they're helping out, separate them from the field during that one-hour, two-hour game or practice time.
1: I need to go for more walks. Last week on, uh, on this podcast, I, I was with was Samari Roll, who is one of my very favorite guys that's been on the Titans during my time covering them since 96. Um, and that led me to, to come into a conversation with you. I wanted to ask, first off, where you think he ranks among the quarterback, cornerbacks that you've seen pass through Nashville on the Titans uh, and kind of assess his style. We'll start there.
0: Samari would rank number one as the best corner that I was a part of, uh, with the Titans for all those years. The Samari just had a, a great understanding of the game. Very instinctive player. Very smart player. This guy knew personnel in the league. He knew who he was playing against. The receiver on the other side. He knew how they tried to attack him. But the, but the great part of Samari is, is he had a great big-picture view of the defense that he played in at that time, a lot of it under Greg Williams. And he knew what his role was, but he also knew what the role was for Steve Jackson, the Nickelback, or Dane and Sidney later, uh, Denard Walker, the other outside corner. He knew how teams were going to attack Denard. He knew what his strengths and weaknesses were, and he knew that teams were going to attack him, And Samari was was such a smart player that he learned, and he was very savvy, learned later in his career to kind of play coy, to kind of play uh, off receivers that he knew he could cover with his speed and make plays on the ball. He did that a number of times. I remember a, a Monday night game versus Washington Redskins where right before halftime he picked the ball off and took it back all the way. That was him baiting the quarterback into making a throw, and Samari could do that really later in his career, but was just an outstanding. He had really good foot quickness, very good speed, didn't didn't have great strength in terms of numbers because of his his frail size, but he was actually a stronger tackler when he wanted to be, and he was a really good press, cover, bump-and-run player from the line of scrimmage because he knew how to use his feet. He knew how to use his hands to attack but he also had great vision to the quarterback samari just had a a well-rounded game but the best thing i think about him was his brain his instincts for the game and instincts for the ball in the air samari just had a a really nice so he's he is my number one corner that i would take right now all the players that have suited up for the titans
1: he told me i asked him about the the physicality you know because it's clear uh uh, and uh, heck, guys bigger than him, including Deion Sanders, w- were not uh, renowned tacklers. And he said that he, he didn't he, he wasn't ashamed of that. That he would nose in uh, when it was necessary and when it was prudent. But even Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator, uh, early in his career, said, you know, that he had to pick his spots, and and he knew that squaring up against Corey Dillon, if there were other people around and it wasn't a must make play. And getting dinged probably wasn't going to benefit the team in in the long run. And I know that's a running joke when uh, when you call uh, you know talk about a, a cornerback who doesn't necessarily isn't that well well rounded quote unquote. But I think everybody uh, in in his day and in the present day would take a guy that could cover like that. His tackling isn't isn't high on the resume of things you're looking for from him, right?
0: you know he he wasn't known for being a- a good ta- a great tackler, but the one thing Samari did is he, and you said it, he picked his spots. He picked his spot in big games, whether it's big competition, like Jacksonville at the time was one of our biggest competitors and they had Jimmy Smith. You're gonna have to wrap up and tackle Jimmy Smith. He had a strong lower body. He broke a lot of tackles. You know, those type players, Samari came to play and he came to play in all the, all the part of the game at that time. You know, I remember in playoff games, Samari was a very good tackler. He'd come up on some of those bubble screens that Indianapolis with Peyton Manning would run and and he would come up and stick the receiver right then and there and you know he didn't have a problem tackling but you know his slight frame he wasn't going to survive for 16 weeks if he was just going to try to knock the receiver's head off every time we needed him to do other things and that's get his hands on the ball make plays and really be a huge part of that defensive backfield
1: who uh who would come to mind as maybe the next batch of cornerbacks of on this roster over the last 19 years that you'd put behind him?
0: You know, I think the group next would be in that Cortland Finnegan, Alteron Werner, Jason McCourty. And that group is is very good from the standpoint of, uh, Corlin came in the league as a nickelback and really took off. He was an excellent blitzer. He had great speed, highly competitive, just really didn't know how to cover and know routes as well at that time early on his career, but was excellent inside at the nickel back. Everything you wanted in a nickel which you could uh, match up with a quicker, shiftier type receivers and also tackle and blitz, he would do it all and he would do it all at 100% at all times. Corlin had great speed. He was a 4-3-7 Guy coming out of Sanford, but he was used to playing kind of in the middle because he played safety in college. So when we moved into corner, took a little bit of a transition period to move him outside at corner. But he was an excellent nickel back, and I. I at that time when we had our defense, you know, a nickelback was a starter. And, and really today, three corners is is really considered a starter. Even though you may line up on first down with, with two corners and two safeties, you're going to end up going to the five-man package pretty quick. So, you know, he was a starter in our defense early on, and then he moved to the outside and had a really nice career, made a lot of plays on the ball, been an excellent tackler, and, and brought a physical nature to the game. You know, I thought Alteron Werner was – Probably the exact opposite of a workout type warrior he was a an average speed at best average size, but he was a very smart player, excellent hands, excellent ball skills, really knew how to position his body and well on the defense he could he could match up with receivers because of his understanding a route awareness and understanding of who he's playing against really played within the scheme very well no one that you would ever sit there and go he's a number one corner in the league he's not uh but he was a good number two for a number of years and and for us he he really uh played well within the scheme you know i think jason mccordy was probably the exact opposite of Alteron Vernon where jason was a later round draft choice and uh, in the sixth, seventh round and he had great speed but not really very good instincts. And and even today he's not really an instinctive player. Um, but Jason had really good speed. He was a he was a really good kid that learned well and learned quickly and because of that speed and his aggressiveness, you know, he was able to play and play quickly and made a lot of plays. We we ran a lot of quarter coverage with with Jason early in his career, and he made a lot of plays with his face turned toward the quarterback. Um, You know, he was a guy that I thought got better quick from his rookie year to his second year. You know, I think Pacman Jones had all the talent in the world, and, you know, if the off-the-field issues when he was with us didn't really surface, he would probably be number one or number two on the list. He had the talent. He had the ball skills. He had the speed. He had the competitiveness. If he would have put the time in learning receivers and learning how to play the game, you know, he could have really been a special player for us. He's gone on to have a nice career, but he had a lot of talent, a lot of instincts to play, and, you know, I think probably the next guy would, would be a Denard Walker, and it was because of the, what we asked him to do. He was a man-to-man corner, and that's it. If you ask him to play zone or ask him to, to read and be able to play off and react to balls, that's not what he does. He's a man-to-man corner. He presses at the line of scrimmage. He had great size and strength and speed and very poor ball skills, couldn't find the ball in the air, but he wasn't, really wasn't asked to a lot.
1: Do you think Adoree Jackson or Malcolm Butler have a chance when they're done in their time with the Titans to challenge Samari Roll for that top spot on this list?
0: You know, I don't think so. Um I I mean I think Adoree's got a lot of ability. He's um going to be an undersized guy. He 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 has really good speed, excellent speed. Um uh, he's a competitive player for his size. I think some I think Adoree if he really continues to ascend in his career. I think he could definitely, uh, you know, overtake a Corlin Finnegan and uh, definitely overtake an Alteron Verner or a Jason McCordy. I think with just sheer speed and talent, the competitive nature that he has, I think he could rise up. I think Samari just had – Samari had that really great ability to learn the defense, understand it, and know where everybody is on the field. I just think that's so important. And maybe Adori gets that and, you know, really uh, – you know, dedicates himself to the game. I remember stories with a Samari when he was in the building, whether he was in the training room or I'd see him in the lunch room, you know, he always wanted to talk personnel. He always wanted to talk college players at the time, coming out in the draft. This is a guy that studied players, not just in the NFL but in college. He really had a a, a great love for personnel and in studying players. I think, on the other side, Malcolm what, Bowler. I think uh, Malcolm's going to be a, a nice player for the Titans. I really do. And uh, But whether he whether he can ascend to the Samari role level, I just don't think so. I don't think he's that kind of player. Uh, I think he could probably get in that top five uh, range, and, and that's probably where he'll sit.
1: I might be missing a coordinator here. I'm going Williams, Schwartz, Cecil, Gray, and then Gray slash Williams again. LeBeau, and now Pease. Am I missing somebody there defensive coordinator-wise?
0: Um, yeah, you had um, uh, Jerry Gray.
1: Yeah, so William Schwartz, Cecil, Jerry Gray, and then Greg yeah. Williams came in with Jerry Gray. Dick LeBeau, yep. now Dean Pease. Which of those guys maybe broadly asked the most of the corners? Which of them maybe asked the least of the corners?
0: You know, I think Greg asked a lot of his corners. Because um, he was he put them on an island a lot. Little- a lot of times he bump and run with with Samari and and Denard and he asked them to man up all over the field and that's when we were able to draft a Javon curse it changed Denard Walker and Samari Roll's game they had to cover for less time because of the pass rush you know you also had a veteran group of safeties at that time with Marcus Robinson and Blaine Bishop so they did have that veteran group with them to you know help them out <clears throat> but he they asked a lot of them at that time I think you know, when you go through, uh, the years with with Greg and then Schwartzy, you know, Schwartzy probably didn't have, he kind of lost Samari and Denard at that time, and, and he had a little different group. He was always, it was the Pac-Man, it was Jason McCourty, it was Cortland Finnegan. He did a really nice job and asked a lot of Cortland Finnegan uh, early on in his career uh, to be the nickelback and to put so much on his shoulders for a guy that really didn't play a lot of corner in college. So Schwartzy did ask a lot, but I think when you ask a receiver, I mean, when you ask a corner to cover receivers from the start, and you're just going to man up and play. That's a tough assignment all day, especially when you're playing the Marvin Harrisons and the Jimmy Smiths and, you know, those type of guys. <clears throat> it's tough. And later on, uh Dick LeBeau, Dick would ask more of combination coverages, a lot of zone, but he would also ask them to blitz a lot more and, you know, probably put some pressure on the corners from that standpoint from the blitzes. But, you know, I think uh, Greg probably asked the most of his corners.
1: So I wanted to cover two scouting areas with you, Um, and first you and I talked about this. I wanted to get the top three workouts you were ever at, and I know you weren't at every workout of every guy the Titans drafted by any means, but in, in the guys that you scouted in that way, let's go from three up to number one. The best workouts you saw, we're going to do one now, then we're going to pause, and the rest are going to be members only. I'd like you to kind of characterize that guy, that workout, how much that swayed uh, or influenced influenced the pick, and and what made it memorable for you. So who would be third on that list for you?
0: You know, I think third. For me would be Tyrone Calico out of Middle Tennessee State. Tyrone was six three, he was two hundred and twenty-two pounds, and I remember at the combine he ran a four-three seven and had a phenomenal workout. Uh but what really uh supplanted him and made him a Titan was the workout at Middle Tennessee State later in the spring in March before the draft. Uh myself, the general manager, uh offensive coordinator, uh receiver's coach all went down, head coach, all went down to Middle Tennessee uh, to see Tyrone and work him out. And we actually took Billy Volick with us, our backup quarterback at the time, with us to throw to Tyrone. And uh, one of the, the knocks on Tyrone was his hands. You know, were they good enough, uh, that type of thing. And, and you know, he didn't have nine or ten hands on a scale. He was more the six to seven range. But when you add in the size and the speed factor and the uh, in his career, wasn't used a lot at Middle. Uh, was kind of coming on uh, in his senior year. So, you know, he was a player at that workout. We met with him before. He had a great grasp of the offense. He was uh, learned at Middle Tennessee State, and he could really grasp our offense. Um, With the Titans, we installed a little bit with him on the board, and he was great. What really did it was when we took him to the field and Billy threw to him. Billy always had a nice arm. He was a good short-to-intermediate passer, had enough. um, He had a good catchable deep ball, but Tyrone could outrun his arm. And one of the things after the workout, Billy threw probably 75 passes to Tyrone, didn't drop any that I remember uh, I remember Billy walking over to uh, Floyd Reese, our general manager at the time, and said, if you don't draft this guy, Steve McNair and I are going to kick your butt. And that was something that, you know, from a quarterback that was on the roster right now that had enough cachet to say that to the general manager, for the general manager to just watch that work out and the head coach and then to say, you know, look at this guy right in our own backyard. uh, Let's select that that receiver and, and Tyrone had a nice rookie year and was really coming on in the second year before the ACL.
1: Yeah. And then injuries ultimately undid him. And he's one of those guys on the long list of receivers that just haven't found a way uh, to, to make it work in Tennessee. Uh, not too many beyond Derek Mason, who uh, Drew Bennett, who stand right. out to the degree uh, you guys and, and Titans fans would have liked. So there's your taste from, former Titans College Scouting Director Blake Benningfield, of what he's going to offer. We're going to pick up with his second and first uh, best workouts he was a part of for guys who became Titans. And we're going to talk about how the Titans viewed Jake Locker, Vince Young, and Marcus Mariota as they prepared to draft them. All of that available to members after this short break. If you're not a member, it's a great time to join $5.99 Five ninety nine a month is the cost of a pricey beer, or a couple bottles of water. You can get twelve months for the price of eleven. Training camp is about to start at the end of the month. Uh, I'm a lone, unique voice on this team. It's a bunch of kids and uh, and some good people who work for the team and aren't always necessarily going to be able to give you uh, the the analysis uh, that that I will and that's no slight to them but uh if you've got to have a jersey if you've got to have tickets to a certain game if you've got to have this good luck charm and that titans memento you've got to have a membership to paul kuharski.com to call yourself a real fan it's brought to you by yazoo brewery this podcast will return for members in just a minute
0: the paul kuharski podcast is a joint production of paul kuharski.com and vocal for more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com.
1: That's V O K A L Now.com.